to The Sleeper and the Bust. This is episode number 153. I am your host, Nicholas Minix. Joining me, as usual, during the week is none other than Eno Saris. Eno, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. About to head into the park and uh, hopefully talk to a white soccer giant. That's fantastic. Uh, do you have a preference? <clears throat> well, I'm, I'm really hoping to talk to Jose Abreu, but... Um, it's it's hard with that with the language barrier. We'll have to see if I can get a translator. I don't have anything set up with their PR or anything, but um, uh, just gonna go in there and hope uh, hope I can get them. If I if I don't, uh, then I'm hoping to get Adam Dunn uh, for a pitching grips piece. <laughs> uh, and it sounds like you're in all seriousness about that, uh, Adam Dunn. Uh, does that have anything to do with his recent pitching appearance? Yeah, yeah, I'll definitely uh, talk about pitching with him. But I, I hope to talk about hitting with him. I think I find him very interesting because over the last couple of years, he's changed uh, key parts of his game uh, for mostly disastrous results. But um, uh, I, I do find it interesting that a guy who's come so far and has proven his value um, felt the need to, you know, try and, you know, go oppo to beat the shift and change what he was looking for at the plate and... Um, you know, be more aggressive and stuff like that. So all these different little experiments he's done over the last couple of years, uh, I find very interesting. So hopefully I'll get some time to talk to him. Interesting. It'll be interesting to see what he has to say about those things as well. Uh, and uh, speaking of an, uh, AL Central teams, at least, uh, in the news, uh, starts off with some topics, uh, begins with the Royals having acquired Josh Willingham from the Twins. And this is kind of, I mean, they were hoping to add a bat perhaps of a little greater caliber prior to the non-waiver trade deadline. And they give up only a a right-handed pitcher by the name of Jason Adam to acquire Willingham. Overall, when I look at the park factors, I don't see much of a change uh, for him, at least in the overall park factors. It does seem like it could be, uh, well, I don't don't think there's even a bit of an advantage uh, in terms of the handedness. So I think probably the bigger issue here will be what happens to playing time in Kansas City, especially when Eric Hosmer comes back. Yeah, I think that's a a good question. I I think that he gets hurt by it. Um, I think, I don't know, Minnesota was playing him fairly regularly. They may not have um, in the future because I think they just picked up, uh, pulled up uh, Avisel Garcia, and he's more important to their future. But in any case, in in the short term, Josh Willingham was playing, uh, I think what happens now is that he ends up being maybe the lefty side of a platoon with Raul Ibanez. Uh, not uh, the left-handed side, but the versus lefty side. So the short side of a platoon uh, with Raul Ibanez, um, I think that's the worst-case scenario. Ibanez is playing pretty terribly, um, and but, you know, it, it a lot of it's the 190 batting average on balls in play, so it's it's kind of hard to know how um, his manager thinks of him right now. But um, let's say his manager thinks he's playing terribly, then Willingham could be uh, the most of the time DH um, and uh, maybe only sit against the toughest righties or something. 
I think the outfield right now is set pretty pretty well with Gordon, uh, Kane, Dyson in center, and, and Ioki in right uh, with a little bit of uh, Kane over there too. So uh, the outfield is pretty set. When, when, when Hosmer comes back, I think Billy Butler goes to full-time DHing and uh, Willingham becomes a versus lefty uh, backup. Uh, maybe he comes in in right field, or maybe he comes in to DH. Um, he basically becomes a backup. So if you're a Willingham owner, uh, this is uh, a bad thing. Yeah, that's that was kind of my thought as well. It'd be interesting to see if, I mean, Butler has attributed a lot of his offensive resurgence in the last couple of weeks to the opportunity to play some first base, which has been eliminated with uh, – Hosmer, you know, that'll be eliminated once Hosmer is back from the DL. And so it doesn't become a mental block for him. It's not a, it's not the craziest thing in the world. We know for sure that there's a penalty that's called a DH penalty um, of about 10%. So if your true talent is a certain level, um, when you, when you're forced to come off the bench, you're, you're 10% worth. So, um, you know, Billy Butler was kind of a marginal guy anyway, uh, take 10% away from him, and he's he might have looked like he did earlier this season. So it's not a crazy thing, he said. Uh, he's just a crazy person. <laughs> he's country breakfast or maybe uh, just rural brunch. <laughs> <clears throat> San Diego has called up Reimer Liriano. Now, Liriano's a prospect I like quite a bit. Uh, he was fifth on Mark Hewlett's prospect list for the Padres coming into this season. And I, I would imagine some of this has to do with the fact that he did miss uh, a good portion of last season because he had to have reconstructive elbow surgery. Now, this is not nearly the same kind of effect as it has on pitchers, but uh, clearly, it, but we've seen how it can affect uh, we can we've seen how it can affect hitters at the plate. Uh, occasionally, for for short times after they return, can kind of affect their power production. Doesn't seem to have been a huge thing for him coming back this season, we saw him in the AFL two years ago, uh, Arizona Fall League. So prospect I really like. I think that um, given, though, the, the strikeout rates that he's posted in the minor leagues, so there's got to be a bit of caution with him. Yeah, you know, ever since he got – you know, it's not just uh, striker rates up and down. It's kind of the fact that he made the jump to double A, and uh, that's when his, his worst strikeout rates sort of came to pass. So – um, you know, people say that the biggest jump is from the low minors to double A, um, maybe even bigger than the one from double A to the majors. So he made that jump. The strikeout rate went up. And yes, uh, he's had a good 71 plate appearance run in triple A in an extreme hitters park there in El Paso. And he did improve his strikeout rate and his walk rate, but he didn't hit a single homer in uh, sort of rarefied air up there. And, uh, and, and although his ISO went up, it's you know it could be Babbitt uh, noise. Um, you know he had a 583 at Babbitt in El Paso, so uh, I would uh, sort of look to his Double A numbers for an idea of what he could do. Um, 260 average, uh, slightly above average power. Uh, he had 17 steals there over the course of this season so far. 20 steals last season, 38. He's no longer the guy who stole 65 um, in in Low A. So uh, I think uh, you're looking at a guy who could be Venable-esque, I guess. I don't know much about his platoon splits. He's a righty. If he does have bad platoon splits, then that's bad news. But just in terms of overall sort of fantasy results, I see this guy as having about 260, 270 average. 
uh, 20 stolen bases and anywhere between eight and 15 homers. Yeah, I think that's. I mean, I think that sounds like a fair assessment. I think that uh, watching him and I'm totally playing amateur scout, and this is from two years ago. I got to see him a few plate appearances in the AFL, and I mean, I think that it's not. I mean, it's not the best place to evaluate hitters, but he he looked like he had a sounder kind of uh, sounder setup uh, than say a player like Venable does. Venable's Venable's had such extensive work and changes done to his to his stance that. Uh, it's. I think it's harder to have a little bit of faith in him from season to season. And a player like, a, say, Aleriano has at least consistently, pretty consistently, put up solid minor league numbers. But uh, yeah, there is certainly, there's certainly some batting average risk. Uh, I do like the fact that he combines a little bit of speed and power. And because he's he's kind of added sig- some significant weight as he's climbed the ladder, I wonder if that's that. I mean, that probably factors into uh, his drop off in production in the speed category uh, as well. Pedro Alvarez is closing in on his debut at first base, uh, supposedly. And I think this is, uh, first of all, this is going to be affected somewhat by the fact that Neil, I think by the fact that Neil Walker is, or could, at least could be by he's Neil Walker's on the disabled list uh, with a, with a back issue. I don't think that he'll be out for too long, but uh, we can't be sure. But either way, <clears throat> I mean, that gives the pirates the opportunity to move Josh Harrison to second base pretty regularly uh, and still play Alvarez at third if they want to. The primary reason that the Pirates have been working out Alvarez at first is because Alvarez has played atrocious defense at the hot corner, uh, particularly when throwing the ball. So maybe there's such an urgency that they want to move him away from that anyway. And that is, of course, bad news for Ike Davis. But these guys really have not provided much more. One has not really provided much more offensive value than the other. uh, Or you could call their values offensive. Uh, How do you I mean? Alvarez is kind of the guy that it seems likely that Pittsburgh is going to let Davis walk in the offseason. And therefore, Alvarez, you might as well give him a shot at first base. I mean, that seems the likely way that this is going to go. But, uh, I mean, what does this even say for Alvarez's value? You know, it's, it's, it's sad because a lot of the things he's, he, he, he's done so far this year have been great. I mean, he's, you know, career best batting, uh, career best uh, uh, walk rate. Career best strikeout rate, career best uh, swing strike rate. He's improved his uh, you know, swing metrics so that uh, he's swinging a little bit less. He's uh, reaching a little bit less and swinging more in the zone. Um, actually, not more in the zone, but uh, hasn't changed his zone swing that much. So, in general, uh, things look good. The problem is pitchers are just not throwing it in the zone at all because uh, I think they they figure they can make him reach. Um, and uh, he's still got a, a semi-high uh, strikeout rate, and the power is gone. So, you know, I know that the one thing that we can't know is if the power went because he altered his approach and is, is swinging a little bit less and is being less aggressive, um, or is the power does the power just out a little bit uh, for a short period of time? And you know, he's uh, if he'd been playing full time, you know, all August, he would, you know, and and into the rest of the season, he'll have a you know, six homer, um, two week stretch or something where all of a sudden everything looks much more normal. So, um, you know, it's, it's very hard to know which of the, which of the two it is, you know, power and strikeout rates are correlated and there is a sort of, you know, if you look at just a, look at like a Marlin bird type cat, you know, there are, there is a, a decision you can make. Am I going to swing hard, miss a lot of balls, but when I hit, they're going to go further 
where I'm going to swing a little bit less hard and they're not going to go as far. So did did Alvarez make that choice or was he doing nice things with the swing metrics that would have showed up eventually uh, in his batting average? I don't know these things. Um, you know, from what I what I've seen of defense, he can make spectacular plays, uh, but he also messes up a lot of, of routine plays. And if you look over the last couple of years, he's been, you know, a positive or about scratch with, uh, on defense. So you'd think that he could still play third. Uh, and you'd think that a first baseman would be easier to find. But uh, they have not found a first baseman. And they found another third baseman in the meantime, and Josh Harrison. And um, they don't really seem like the team that uh, is going to go out and pay for first baseman. So, you know, it does look kind of like Pedro Alvarez is going to be that first baseman next year. Yeah, it does. It and does. I think uh, the question I would have is, uh, I mean, well, I guess, it, is it also possible that Alvarez has decided to take his defense with him to the plate this year? Um, but given that it's not, it hasn't been stellar in previous seasons, he has, but he has made a lot of throwing errors this season, and perhaps that has somehow made a difference. Uh, but that's just, that's pure conjecture. And re, yeah, the reality is, is he's just, a, he's he has a lot of swing and miss in his game. And if you make a lot of contact outside the strike zone, you're not necessarily, I would assume, uh, you're not necessarily likely to produce uh, quite as hard hit balls off the uh, off the bat. He's he's a confounding player. I'm definitely glad that I did not invest <laughs> this past spring. Roach. It's interesting that you bring up that uh, that contact out of the zone. Uh, there, a, a large portion of his of his contact gains this uh, this year have been made on those uh, pitches outside the zone. I mean, he he's up seven percent there over his over his career, and um, he's only up about one or two percent over his uh, career zone contact percentage. And you're right, that's not necessarily the best way to make gains. Um, those pitches are, for the most part, pitchers' pitches. And, um, you know, so that actually might be hiding the fact that he's uh, hasn't changed as much as we'd like. Um, and he's making contact with the wrong pitches. So if, if that's the case, uh, that would say something about his power and uh, also about his upside in the future. Maybe he can hit 30 home runs again but it doesn't seem like he's ever going to put it all together and have even a 260, 270 average with those 30 home runs. Yeah, that seems that seems uh, not likely with it to be within reach anytime soon, if it is ever. Moving to some changes in uh, rotations, uh, fortunately, our, one of our favorite uh, pitchers to emerge from the waiver wire, Jacob deGrom, is headed to the disabled list. Does not sound serious, but uh, he is headed there with tendonitis in his rotator cuff. Never know. Uh, in the meantime, the Mets are calling up Rafael Montero to take his spot in the rotation. Montero is also, I mean, he's put up some exciting numbers of his own in the minors, even though uh, those did not translate to the majors early this year in four starts uh, with a 540 ERA. Um, still struck out 18.5% of the hitters in his four starts. Uh, he did walk 12%, but overall he's, he's a pretty exciting pitcher, and he had been hurt for much of the season in the minor leagues. Is this a guy that we immediately run out to pick up in mixed leagues? I mean, I, I think he's already owned in our in our 15-team mixed league tout wars. Uh, he's been owned for all season because he could be stashed. But, uh, I mean, this is a guy I would want to take a shot on in a 15-team mixed league for sure. Uh, maybe even a 12-team mixed league, or is that too ambitious? You know, the, the results are, are not great um, in the major league so far. They're not a huge sample. But it is very interesting to see that he's thrown 300 four-seam fastballs and only – uh, 40 changeups and 60 sliders. So he's a he's really a fastball first guy. I might um, say that you know 
if everything worked out, he could be, you know, maybe a Shelby Miller type uh, where he uses great command of a uh, 94-mile-an-hour fastball, except that the problem is that uh, in Montero's case, it's 93, but, you know, of a good fastball, that's a good velocity these days. Um, and y- y- if you have good, good command of a good fastball, you can still uh, make it work. But, um, you know, the slider and the change have not shown uh, the kind of whip rates you'd like out of them so far. Um, in the minors, the, even the scouts agreed that his change was behind his slider. So, you know, I remain skeptical. I think that there's a lot about Montero that says he's headed for the bullpen. Um, but, um, you know, in terms of, you know, streaming him uh, or taking a shot on him uh, to see what, what he'll give you in the, in the final uh, couple months, it's definitely worth it just because he's got that velocity. He's got good minor league results. He's in the National League. He'll get some bad uh, – he'll get some matchups with some bad teams. Um, so I, I do think he's useful. I, th- I would look at him as spot start in any league um, against a really bad offense. And I would look at him uh, in 15 teams and deeper for, um, uh, for you know, a shot in the arm kind of stuff. But I think mostly I'm just depressed about DeGrom. Shoulder stuff is so much more is so much worse than elbow stuff. And I just don't want to hear anything like this. And um, DeGrom's been so great this year with the curve um, finally taking its place next to that changeup and the, the gas and all the command he's got and the uh, the plus-plus hair. So I feel like um, – you know, it's just depressing, and hopefully it won't be such a big deal. And we hope to prescribe you with some uh, depression medication here. And uh, at least at least we could take from this the fact that he's never uh, – DeGrom has never really had some uh, any major health issues uh, previously. Other than Tommy John. Uh, well, yes, other than that. Sorry, sorry. But I guess, you know, everyone he has Tommy John at this point, so. Yeah. <laughs> but he hasn't – I mean, he's, he said he's – you know, this is kind of the first real health, health issue he's had uh, all season – um, and uh, I mean, let's certainly let's hope. I mean, it's it's kind of a exciting to see how how much of a breakthrough he has made. And is this age twenty five or age twenty six season? Um, he he also doesn't have you know he's he's kind of there's this new somewhat newish trend. I don't know if it is a trend, but there's this um, there've been a lot of good young pitchers that have been recently converted either from from closing or from a position um, that uh, have done well and, and shown good gas early in their careers and. You know, there's some think that the, the, the TJ, uh, the Tommy John situation has been caused by pitching year round and um, uh, and too many too many bullets used um, early on. So um, I feel like, uh, you know, maybe he hasn't thrown a lot of bullets in his career. He was a shortstop and a, and a closer, sometimes closer in college. And that's that means he's thrown a lot fewer pitches. So hopefully uh, that means that. He's in relatively good shape, and he'll be good to go either uh, sometime this year or, or next year. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> uh, concerning concerning Montero, uh, his first start is going to come tonight against uh, the Washington Nationals. Yet, yay or nay, if you throw to throw him out there, Montero against the Nationals. I think that's um, that's an interesting question because uh, I I think uh, nay. That's a nay. I think that's a good enough offense. Uh, I don't believe that Bryce Harper is dead, and uh, I, I I don't know that uh, that qualifies as a bad enough offense. I guess. Okay, and uh, now I would assume uh, face value alone coming up once, uh, assuming on Sunday because the, uh, they will not be in position to skip him. He gets the Cubs next. Uh, he'll also be at home for that start, uh, and then after that, assuming that it lined up properly, 
um, he would get the Dodgers in LA. I would probably be hesitant to make that one, but uh, I think the Cubs. The Cubs, are, Cubs, Cubs are really interesting because they're 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 up and down, and they they they're not quite the same team they were a month ago. So you can't really look at season long stats. Right. Uh, they they now have uh, you know some credible uh, people, some credible bats in places they didn't have them before, um, due to calling up Alcantara and um, and Baez. So. Uh, I, I think I might play them. If it was in Chicago, I'd be more worried because Chicago can play really homer happy um, when it comes to whether the weather, how the weather's doing. Uh, but, um, you know, New York is a much more solid uh, pitcher's park, and it's a high-variance team that he's playing. But, um, you know, just think about a matchup with the Baez. A guy who can really command his fastball, I think, could uh, give Baez some fits. Yeah, I'd be, <clears throat> I'd be probably most apt to throw him against the Cubs because yeah, there's if he could, uh, even though there's uh, there's probably a high range of outcomes that game in particular could have uh, that Montero with his with his fastball, he could come out of that with uh, maybe something close to double digit strikeouts. You never know. Uh, the Mets also they stated that it was unlikely. We've kind of heard this before. Uh, just wanted to touch on it quickly that they are unlikely to call up Noah Syndergaard until sometime in 2015. Uh, have you? Ha, I've heard some kind of mixed reviews on Syndergaard this season that I hadn't heard in the past. I mean, primarily perhaps that has to do with his 4.79 ERA at the AAA level, which we know it's in, in the PCL, and particularly he's, he's pitching for Vegas. It's interesting that they they continue to kind of expose him to that environment. He's pitched only 107 innings. Um, I think that's probably a positive uh, for pitching in that environment, considering you know you, you could probably fatigue pretty easily there. Uh, but uh, do you think that his that there's any shine that has worn off his kind of star? Uh, to me, I don't see it. I think that he's still a pretty exciting pitching prospect. I did talk to him um, in, at the Futures game, and I would personally, um, he, his uh, opinion of himself has not uh, has not dimmed. So <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's a good thing. Um, he, he, you know, in terms of walks and strikeouts, I I. I see uh, a good pitcher who made it to the AAA level and is doing everything he needs to do. Um, and, uh, you know, even the homer rate's not that bad. A 383 Babbitt, what I've heard is that the, the infield there in Vegas is as hard as rocks. It is rocks, supposedly. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and though Noah um, said that it's gotten better and that they've improved it there, he, he kind of said, yeah, it's, it's been rough. Uh, the home park's not been great. But um, what he has uh, done is take the opportunity. Uh, he said the curveball doesn't really work there um, because of the high altitude in Vegas. So he's taking the opportunity to throw his changeup more, um, and he thinks the changeup has gotten you know to the point where it, some people think it could be better than his curve. And his curve is the pitch he's been throwing his whole life. So uh, I think that's a great sign um, that he's retained the velocity, hadn't had any injury issues really, uh, is going to you know pitch. Probably uh, close to 150 innings in AAA this year, um, with a, a, a above-average strikeout rate and below-better-than-average uh, walk rate, um, and he's going to have developed a three-pitch mix and be ready to go next year. Yeah, I think that's. I think ultimately the time that he's spending down there seems to bode well for his time in the future, and uh, I wasn't aware of that in the, as far as the, the pitch mix. Pitch mix. Oh, actually, I think you, you've uh, you've shared that with us before. Uh, but yeah, I think that's. 
overall, he's a pitcher I'd be really excited about uh, next year sometime. And there was there was actually, I mean, I've seen him, I saw him drafted in leagues this past season, even in redrafters, and I thought that that was wow, that's a little too ambitious. I might be one of those guys next year, assuming that the hype isn't quite the same, and perhaps because maybe people forget to take. Uh, the results at AAA Las Vegas with more than a grain of, uh, of salt. So uh, he's he still remains every bit as exciting to me. And, and knowing what we know based on what you know is gleaned from conversation with him, uh, I would I would think that that would just kind of embolden us. Detroit calling up, boy. I mean this this tells you. Uh, I think they pulled this kid right off the farm uh, because his name is Buck Farmer. Uh, Detroit is going. Uh, <laughs> I mean. Uh, I can't. That's that's a fantastic name, Buck Farmer. Oh, you know what? You you really you, have you ever heard of Spoonerism, where you uh, take the 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 last the the first name, the first letter of the last name? <laughs> you definitely can't play Buck Farmer with him. Yeah, no, that's at least not on this podcast where where we're all always family friendly. Um, and you know, interesting numbers on in the minor leagues. I know I had never even heard of this guy. So uh, he's 23 year old who is just who just a couple of weeks ago or so made his debut at the double A level. So, uh, I mean, it's clearly somebody the Tigers think well enough of that they're willing to give at least a spot start to. But uh, I mean, <clears throat> I know that uh, the the kid on the farm, Drew Verhagen, Verhagen, Drew Verhagen, uh, he's on the disabled list uh, for the uh, the AAA Farm Club, I believe. Uh, and uh, I'm not sure of the status of the other kids down there. Uh, Dwayne Below, maybe maybe he was uh, under consideration. But I'm guessing that Detroit didn't want to make a move with the 40-man roster yet. So, uh, and he is, because he's not on it. Um, and Robbie Ray is already up uh, because uh, they have some concerns here uh, with... For a number of things. I mean, suddenly a rotation that looked really strong. I mean, Anibal Sanchez now on the disabled list. Uh, Justin Verlander also dealing with some shoulder problems. Uh, that's It's going to create some interesting things going on here. So but, but I think Buck Farmer with the uh, – it was an extra inning game over this weekend, this past weekend, uh, that uh, where they needed Rick Porcello. Uh, so perhaps they're moving him back. It is, it's, a, it's a rotation in flux and at a time that they've just lost the lead in the AL Central. A lot of things going on here. Buck Farmer. First of all, do you know anything about him? Is this a guy that uh, the only thing I can really I can really say is okay. This might be a guy that uh, in those leagues where players uh, are available to you for the first time since uh, once they're exposed uh, to ma- uh, to the major league roster, maybe this is a guy you can you can stash away. But I mean, I think you know even if he does much interesting with his spot start or more. Uh, it's probably not a guy we would see even regularly next year. So uh, this is purely out of need. Uh, do you know anything about him? Well, I mean, I, I know for one that uh, he came out of Georgia Tech, so it's not like they're throwing a, a 17-year-old. It's a 23-year-old that was uh, fairly polished coming out of out of college. So, um, you know, he wasn't uh, necessarily, this isn't necessarily throwing someone into the fire. He isn't thought of as to have sort of, ace-like upside i wouldn't necessarily run to go get him um but uh especially also since he's a fastball slider uh forward but um uh you know this year he's at a little bit of velocity um and uh you know his changeup has improved a little bit so uh between the three 
um, you know, he he could uh, he could be all right. I mean, uh, you know, sits around 92, 93. Um, you know, the only thing that I've sort of worried about is I've read through some scouting reports and um, people don't seem to love the slider and the changeup was supposed to be behind the slider. Mm. So that, that, that kind of leaves him with one pitch. Um, that leaves um, him worse off than Justin Masterson. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so uh, maybe we'll maybe uh, you know some some guys like this. One thing that I do like about his minor league line is that he's just uh, he's pretty much commanded the ball well, and he's probably has around a six percent walk rate for his minor league uh, career. Um, and uh, you know I think that's probably what's led to the good strikeout rates. So maybe he won't necessarily get those strikeout rates if he doesn't have the off speed stuff that he needs to get those strikeout rates in the major leagues. Uh, but you know, for all the love that we have for Rafael Montero, I don't know how how different uh, Buck Farmer is in terms of you know has good command of a you know mid nineties fastball and and you know we'll figure the rest out later. All right, there you have it, folks. Buck- Except also American <laughs> League. So <laughs> yes, you know, if you had a choice between two Rafael Monteros and one was in the American League, you'd take the one in the National League. Yes, I don't think there's any question about that, and. Uh... Despite how cool Buck Farmer's name is, you'd have to you'd have to shy away from him. Um, and while we're at it, I just want to talk about. I mean, th- a few weeks ago, you talked about how uh, you'd run Justin Verlander through the injury predictor fanomatic machine, whatever it's called. Um, <laughs> get to refresh my fre- refresh my memory with the name of it, and, and talked about how you might be a little concerned. Actually, you were pretty concerned and convinced me pretty heartily at the time because we were talking about a number of things that have changed with him and it started with a discussion that a commenter brought up about uh, Verlander's arm slot. Um, Now we're seeing uh, perhaps some evidence of that and this is really the first health issue that he's had in his professional career. Um, Start of things to come, I mean obviously we won't know more until we know more such as results of an MRI, things like that, but uh, Ominous. Uh, I mean, perhaps he misses only a starter or two. I mean, but uh, how concerned are you based on is this is this the kind of thing where you say, you know what, uh, this is the, the the predicto machine said, oh, boy, this, you know, this this looks like it could be an injury issue for Verlander. And then it comes. Then do you say, yeah, this uh, this is one more reason to think that uh, this is a really bad thing down the road. Yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, I. I doubt that the that using these sort of metrics is actually predicting injury as much as it's spotting it. Um, you know, because if your if your velocity is down and your release point is is messing up, um, which are the two indicators that Josh Cox's injury zone sort of focus on, it's focused on command in terms of zone percentage, um, where your release point is, and how your velocity is doing. And if those three things are off, I think what's what it's telling you is that there's something off in there. Um, and I think predictor is almost the wrong word because I think what those things were showing was that Verlander was pitching with pain. Um, and now he admits it and he said it's been going on for a while. So, uh, when we saw that he dropped two miles an hour in one start, um, you know, from one start to the next and then, uh, dropped even further after that and lost about three miles an hour off his peak in June. Um, I think that was, that was significant. And when we saw that his arm slot changed, that was significant. I, I, what I don't understand is why he's been pitching this whole time. I mean, he's uh, he's just uh, uh, either he's um, he's being macho and trying to to fight through it. There are were some comments in his 
in his presser that made me sort of think that might be it because he's talking about how it was very difficult to to watch that game it was the most difficult of his career and he wanted to help them and stuff like that so maybe he's just been trying to battle through it but um I think that most uh, pitching uh, coaches and, and staffs in general would rather their pitchers told them when they were hurting. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty much a given. Yeah, they they would much prefer to know these guys are hurting because they want to head it off at the pass. And I think that uh, Verlander, I mean, if anything, he does himself a disservice by not because he hasn't been through this, that uh, he probably can build up. He may have even built up this kind of image of himself that he's virtually invincible. At least at this stage of his career, he sees a lot of guys, uh, you know, come and go, and not and he's not one of them. Uh, despite the kind of success that he's had, the kind of velocity he's had, the fact that he's thrown so many innings and so many pitches, but he's, you know, in terms of efficiency, hasn't been at the top of the league. I think what is it? Uh, he's thrown like a thousand more pitches over a certain stretch than Felix Hernandez, and they threw the same amount of innings. Um, He's. I would definitely be concerned because it seems like a trend that was we were kind of heading toward. And uh, I mean, this. It, I guess it just. It feels like the start of uh, a really bad stretch of Verlander's career, uh, unless he starts being uh, a lot more honest. For instance, with the the, the training staff, um, starts taking the downtime that's probably going to be required, and maybe then some uh, when he is going through these health issues. I mean, still still a lot of unknowns, but I think it was just really uh, ominous. Like you said a few weeks ago, uh, at that point, probably already spotted the injury. Uh, now it's going to be interesting to see what happens going forward. I mean, this because this could be could be a start of a multi-year thing for him. Uh, I don't want to necessarily push it that that far into the future, but at the same time, for, for Verlander, um, uh, it, it, there's definitely going to be a, a little bit of a potential reckoning period, I think, for him. Uh, yeah, the shoulder—it's it's a big deal. I mean, uh, shoulder's always worse than elbow, and. Uh... I mean, it could, you know, depending on the results, it could be disastrous. So, you know, he's he, the one thing he can take uh, into consideration is that he's teammates with one of the best uh, outcomes for shoulder problems in Anibal Sanchez. So, you know, there's that at least. <laughs> there's that, and at least uh, as far as that goes, I mean, it, but it did it did take him a couple of years to get through that kind of work through it. I think between and Boston and Miami, he was a lot younger. Yeah, and he was a lot younger. Uh, we do know the Yankees have confirmed, well, more so perhaps Michael Pineda confirmed uh, uh, because he said he was ready to go, and the Yankees are ready to go with Pineda uh, for his start on Wednesday. We talked about him already uh, on a couple of shows. And so, yes, he's a deep, he's a, I mean, I think he's at least a deep mix league pickup, uh, somebody that uh, could provide you with some decent uh, value for the rest of the season, uh, especially if, he, if he's been available in your league. Anthony Renato replaces Brandon Workman for one start. Sounds like a spot start, but uh, seems like a thing where why would you displace a guy for one spot start uh, unless you kind of hoped Renato took the took the opportunity and ran with it. Workman profiles more as a swing man, no? Yeah, I guess so, but I have my doubts about Renato. I mean, he just hasn't had great uh, minor league stats in terms of strikeouts and walks. Um, you know, he got decent grounders in his first game. Um, but, uh, I just feel like, um, you know, also just from watching him, I, what I get is a, a kind of painfully deliberate, de- uh, delivery motion, like a painfully delivery, uh, painfully deliberate delivery that is sometimes slow and sometimes fast. So it's, uh, 
I know he's a real big guy, uh, you know, listed six seven. Uh, so I think that might have something to do with his ability to sort of keep all his body parts in the right place. Um, and that might be why it looks so deliberate and why sometimes it's a little bit faster than other times. But, I mean, it, it, I don't really see evidence that he's really figured it out. Not great ground ball rates in the minor leagues. Uh, not great stats in the minor leagues. And, um, you know, just not uh, not someone that I'd be rushing to pick up. I thought that they would uh, trade him, actually. But um, it, things turned out differently for the Red Sox this year. Yeah, I think, well, I'd be interested to see if they think – you know, as poorly of him as you do, and not to say that I don't, I mean, I agree. I would not want to pick this guy up in a mixed league. Um, I think what's interesting about it is uh, just, I mean, primarily the fact, if, if, if you think of Workman already as the swing man, you, maybe you want to kind of test Ronaldo at the major league level or see what he would look like in the majors. Uh, but if you have already kind of, I mean, if you've already made these assessments of him in the minor leagues, you can't necessarily be any more optimistic that he'll uh, look any better in the majors. I agree. He, I think he has enough faults to have it, you know, kind of have your doubts about him. Um, but I guess my guess is, you know, this is kind of a test run, a trial run for 2015 because they're going to start having to figure out who's going to be in that rotation now that they've gotten rid of two fifths of it. And uh, you know, I guess there's always a chance that they do re-sign John Lester. I don't think that that's incredibly likely, but um, there are a number of outcomes there. And Reynaldo seems like he's. Uh, kind of auditioning for that spot, whereas Workman is kind of the guy they would look at as number five fallback option. Co- I could I could buy that. Uh, and I think uh, it's a good, it's a good opportunity to wrap up uh, before we finish talking about some starting pitchers. You know, you had a fantastic uh, feature that went up on Phil Hughes today, uh, where he finally found the right breaking ball. So I wanted to just give you a little chance to operate, uh, obviously to elaborate just a bit on that because I think Hughes. Hughes has pitched remarkably well this season. We know that uh, at least, I mean, this is a much better season than he's had in, in the, any of his years with the Yankees, uh, other than perhaps in, I think it was 2012, he had a really good outcome. But uh, 388 ERA, and that's pretty solid. But the, the 2.4% uh, walk rate is obviously quite astounding. Uh, and he's reduced the fly ball rate to below 40% for the first time in his career. Um I mean, he's in a good ballpark in terms of home run suppression, but uh, can you can you just share some things with us as far as what you learned from Hughes that maybe has helped him become a better overall pitcher? One nice thing about Phil Hughes is that um, not only has uh, the uh, not only has his home home run per fly ball rate uh, increased uh, not increased uh, gotten better, but uh, he's gotten better on the road. So. Um, you know, I think that uh, that alone has allowed him to be more aggressive, and that's where you see uh, the improvement in his in his um, walk rate. I don't think he, he sort of laughed at the idea that he's become a better strike thrower uh, at this point in his career. Uh, and even though he did say his mechanics uh, feel a little better than usual, um, he, d- he thought in general <clears throat> it just came from the idea that I'm just going to start throwing it over the plate and, uh, you know, I'm not as worried about the left field porch in my home stadium as, as I used to be. So, um, you know, we did talk a little bit about what that meant for uh, other um, other pitchers and, and for developing pitching in, in New York. But, um, you know, I don't, I don't think that uh, we figured that one out. That's a pretty tough one. How to develop pitching in a hitter's park, um, I think, is very tough because it, those guys come up 
uh, get, a couple balls get blasted over the, the porch, and then inevitably they seem to uh, just change their um, uh, change their approach and uh, and um, you know nibble and and worry too much about that homer. So um, you know, right now Hughes is just basically. Uh, throwing it, uh, you know, towards the plate. Um, not as worried about the homer. And he's, what he's also done is cut out the slider. He said the slider was just something that was like a life raft. He just tried it because everything else sucked. Um, but um, the uh, what he's gone back to is spiking the curve. He, he used to spike and then he didn't. Now he's gone back to spiking the curve and throwing a cutter. And I think the cutter's velocity at 89 um, is, a, is a good mix because it's, it looks a little bit like his fastball, which is around 92, uh, comes in on the same plane, and then it, it does something different than his fastball. So um, I think it's good for him to have this sort of three fastball mix um, and then have the spike curve um, as, his, uh, as his swing and miss pitch. And he's throwing the spike curve harder, too. So now everything's coming out of the same slot. Everything's coming out a little bit harder. Um, and uh, I think that it, it, it it looks a little bit. Everything looks more similar coming out of his hand, and that that makes it harder for for hitters. Yeah, what I think <clears throat> what I think is uh, interesting is that I mean Hughes has basically what would be a career best three eighty eight ERA, but the peripherals I think really for the first time in his career say that his mark in the ERA could be quite a bit better. Uh, he has an SI ERA of three twenty four uh, and the FIP of two sixty four, and uh, he noted in the article uh, that. Uh, Excuse me. You noted in the article that uh, I mean, I guess he struggled a little bit. Uh, he, I mean, he had a rough patch there. I want to say of maybe five, six, seven starts. I don't remember the exact length of it, but uh, and that perhaps uh, a thumbnail crack or something of that nature is what kind of prohibited him from throwing the. Is it the spike curve? I guess kind of a knuckle curve. Is that uh, perhaps what uh, contributed to uh, largely the rough stretch was just kind of a. a poor health issue um and also like typically we don't it's hard to anymore to expect a good repeat season from hughes but perhaps he's kind of gotten to the point where uh this he is set up where he could be a solid pitcher once again uh, to in kind of a follow-up yes yeah the uh the uh thing is i i guess the 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 fingernail uh crack was uh, recent so i don't know um how, if the timing lines up to, to to blame his index finger, you can actually see it on the grips today. Um, that his uh, his uh, index index finger is cracked, and I, I took that picture last week. So I don't know if the timing works out there necessarily, um, but uh, I do find it interesting that he has the worst uh, batting average on balls in play against um, of his career, or at least of his recent career. And um, he's a fly ball guy, and for most of this year, the defense behind him in the outfield in Minnesota has been pretty poor. Um, so I would say that on some level, you know, he's missing uh, good defense behind him. Um, and uh, that I would I would blame it on that. I know that his, his line drive rate is a little bit high, but that's not something that's necessarily sticky year to year. Um, and I tend to believe that someone who – you know, strikes out guys like he has been and doesn't walk anybody, uh, has good command and isn't necessarily giving up, you know, super hard contact. So, um, you know, I, I feel like uh, it's a little bit of bad luck there. Uh, but in general, um, you know, he also admits that the rise ball that he throws, this rising fastball he throws, if he 
gets out a little bit low, it gets punished. Um, and uh, that it also means that he has to throw it high in the zone. And if, he, if it drifts in the wrong direction high in the zone, it can get punished. So he knows that um, some of what he, the way he throws um, can lead to high homer rates and, and high batting average when balls in play. And both of those things are true for his career. But as long as he limits those walks as much as possible, um, and gets as many strikeouts as possible. Um, I think he'll do enough work on that side of the ledger to be to be useful. Okay. Very interesting stuff when Hughes. And uh, moving to some bullpen stuff real quick. Just really the Mets uh, and Eno. Eno loves the Mets. Uh, Andre Mejia. Uh, we talked a little bit about this season how uh, he's he seems seems to have found a home as the closer for this club. But uh, recently revealed, kind of to Terry Collins's. Uh, displeasure uh, to the media that uh, he'd been pitching uh, he's been he's been diagnosed with a hernia and he's been pitching with it for the last three weeks or so he wants to pitch through it for the remainder of the season uh, he's been told by doctors and the team's w- more than willing to let him uh, that he can finish the season uh, with it he's not really likely to do any further damage to it we've seen pitchers perform well through injuries like this we've also seen uh, pitchers like A.J. Burnett this season has struggled, and it's hard not to think that that is at least somewhat related to his uh, really high control issues. Um, given Mejia's injury history, this is the one thing I thought of. I mean, me, I'd be a little concerned at both, maybe for the long term. I don't know necessarily this is really a long-term concern, but because of the type of injury history that he has, and more so uh, just because, as far as Mejia is concerned, the performance has been really good. Um, that there's always the potential that it affects him in a negative way. Uh, why wouldn't you just shut a guy like this down? Uh, are you concerned rest of the season fantasy value? I mean, he's had a couple of rough outings recently. We talked, just touched on it briefly on Sunday. But, uh, I mean, how if, if you're a Mejia owner, how urgent is it, do you think, to go out and get Uri's Familia? Um, or how likely are you to go want to pick him up in a, uh, in a league based uh, on this news uh, if you don't have Mejia? You know, he was complaining about a calf issue before, too. So, um, you know, he he's obviously a brittle guy. I mean, I, I, there's no other way to put it. I mean, he, he just couldn't he couldn't put together the innings. He, he had enough pitches and he had enough in his arsenal to be a good starter, but he just couldn't put the innings together uh, for them to trust him, and he just kept falling apart in the fifth inning. So, you know, in terms of, of stamina and, and health, we know that's not a tool he owns. Um, you know, you're right. 74 innings in, that's a pretty good workload. If he's a reliever going forward, they don't necessarily need to push his innings. Um, so, you know, you might as well uh, you might as well sit him, actually. Um, I, I agree with that. Uh, on the other hand, they probably just want to have him pitching as long as he can because, and he probably wants to pitch as long as he can because he knows that people say, say he's brittle and then he knows that uh, people talk about his health. So he doesn't, he doesn't like that. So, um you know, I figure he'll pitch as long as uh, as long as he can. I bet you he will get shut down at some point. Uh, Familia is ownable because of that. Um, I do think Mejia is the closer next year. I don't know that I love uh, Terry Collins. I, I I hope he's not the coach next year. Actually, um, you know, to it's fine to know to. I mean, it's just hypocritical to me to say, oh, I'm now going to tell the media that I'm just pleased with this pitcher for saying something to the media. Yeah, <laughs> you know it's like oh, I got it, dude. If you're if you're upset, go talk to the pitcher. You, you're in the same locker room. You know you you know 
and you're mad at him for using the media and you're going to use the media back at him, uh, no thanks. Yeah. And I, it just seems like a blustery kind of, uh, you know, old school yell at everyone uh, kind of guy. And I just, uh, I, I, you know, in terms of strategy and, and, you know, the way that he puts his lineups together and the, the things, choices he makes in the bullpen, I just don't see there that a lot that's compelling to me. I don't, uh, I'm not buying into Terry Collins. Yeah, I would agree. And because I'm a Phillies fan, I do hope they stick with him. <laughs> and moving to just real quickly, you touched on a couple of guys that are potentially on the way out. Well, we know Andrew McCutcheon is on the disabled list now with the avulsion fracture of the rib, which is kind of a, a unique injury, as I understand it. Um, but you know, we talked about the possibility that he would avoid the disabled list. Uh, he's now eligible to return in one week or so. Um, and we, you know, we talked about it. it was, it was, a, there was a decent possibility that he avoided this. Sounds like probably the right move. Um, no reason to think that once this guy comes back, say in a week, maybe two, maybe not much longer than that, that this guy he, he should have a pretty decent uh, avenue to a good performance for us this season. Yes. Other you know, pain tolerance it, being perhaps an issue. Right. Well, you know, as long as it's not the oblique, you know, we, we've talked about this a little bit already, but, you know, if it's the oblique, then uh, that stuff lingers. But if it's actually just a, this, uh, this fracture, then, um, you know, I don't think that as long as he can breathe well and it's not broken and it's not poking in the lung and he's not at any risk from that, um, I think that's, you know, ribs. Uh, I think it's a, it's a positive outcome for him. So uh, we'll, we'll see what um, – what happens when he gets back? Uh, I I doubt. I, there's no way that I drop him. I'm not going to sell him low. So it's just a wait and see. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, slightly disturbing, perhaps, is Manny Machado. He sprained his knee uh, during a bat. Now it's the right knee and not the surgically repaired left one that he had. Um, and it seems like no matter what the I think the results of an X-ray showed nothing disturbing. But uh, MRI, they're waiting still as of. Uh, I, what I saw just a bit ago, they're still waiting the results of the MRI, uh, and that could tell them more. But spraining your knee, there's a good chance always that you could be put down at least to get over that because that's not that's not a minor injury even when it's a minor injury. I think the question here is uh, the only thing that concerns me is that Machado came into the season, uh, well, obviously coming off the surgery, and uh, they talked about the fact that he the way he kind of runs is is um, they kind of think they put it. He put himself in the position to sprain the knee severely last year, the, his left knee, uh, and you know he supposedly worked on a lot of things to kind of change his running style a bit. Um, and but we're still kind of in a position. It, this is this is more of a freak thing, I think, than anything. But uh, when you're when you're as young as he is, he hasn't quite turned 21 yet, I believe, and um, or maybe it's 22. Now I'm going to have to second guess myself. But regardless, uh, I mean, very young player. Having these multiple knee injuries, kind of so early in a career, he's twenty, just turned twenty-two. As a matter of fact, um, this this kind of concerns me. We've, we we talked about him on a couple of shows as far as what kind of ceiling that he has, and because it's there's a bit of a wide range of outcomes. I think I, I like him a little more than you do. I think it's fair to say, but there's certainly a lot of risk in his game in the long term. Um, does does this concern you as much as it does me, or is it, am I kind of overblowing this? Well, one thing I like about him is that this year he's improved his infield fly ball rate. So, you know, that, that, that says to me that maybe someday he could put up a league average, batting average on balls in play, which he hasn't really um, in his minor league or major league career. Um, so if he could do that, 
if you could put up a league average, uh, well, I might be wrong about that. Um, but it, I think uh, in terms of him having done it in the past, but, uh, you know, his projections always project him for a low um, a batting average on balls in play because of that infield fly ball rate. So, um, you know, if he could actually, um, you know, put up a, a, a plus uh, a three. Well, look at that. Look at that. He has a 316 batting average on balls in play for his career, and the projections have him down for 307 going forward. So, um, I guess I was wrong about that. That's interesting. He had really he had like fairly low batting average on balls in play in the minor leagues uh, for the minor leagues. So, and and then he had these 260 270 batting average because of it. Um, usually, guys in the minor leagues have like 340 and 350 average. So, um, I think uh, I, I'm a little bit happier that he's that he's improved that infield fly ball rate um i know i think the stolen bases might be gone for good but he did uh increase his power a little bit this year and his home run for fly ball rates at a, at a major league high so at a, at a you know career high for the major leagues so i actually recently uh, in an email to a friend uh said that i think you know i could project him for you know 280 uh 25 and 5 season next year uh, which I think is uh, probably is definitely top five in third base. I think, mm-hmm. and uh, is uh, is definitely very interesting. And if he's at power projection beyond that, just by based on his age, that's great. Uh, but I would mention one name from another sport, um, just because you mentioned about his running style, Andrew Bynum. Um, you know, they they always said um, there. Were, I remember there was a report early on in his career. Where they said, oh, the way that his wa- he walks his gait. Um, suggests that he's going to have knee problems uh, the rest of his career. And, um, you know, lo and behold, Andrew Bynum did uh, have those problems. So um, if they're spotting something in the way he runs now and we've got two sort of uh, catastrophes uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in his first two, two and a half seasons, um, you know, it's definitely fair to, to um, you know, take some play appearances off those projections and perhaps project him only into about, uh, two thirds or, or, or five hundred two thirds of a season or five hundred play appearances next year, which then makes him a two eighty uh, you know eighteen uh, and three guy. Hmm. Yeah, I I'm a little concerned that you know, the way these injuries have, have popped up uh, this early in his career, uh, it'll be interesting to see. Hopefully, this is not serious at all. Maybe he even avoids a disabled list. Although I, I think that the O's. Probably don't have much reason to mess around with that and play short. They're very, they're very different from the injuries that Jed Lowry had, for example. Um, you know, because I remember Jed Lowry had the the injury tag, um, and everybody was worried about him. And he's been fairly healthy since he got to Oakland. And what he told me was that he found those things to be freak injuries, and they weren't uh, muscle injuries. They were, uh, you know, he got hit with the ball uh, at the plate. Uh, he there was a a massive uh, sort of slide tackle uh, situation at second base when he turned a, a, a double play. Um, so I feel like, uh, you know, in a way, Jed Lowry uh, shows you why you shouldn't worry too much about this, but in another way, it, uh, because he came out of what, you know, this injury tag, but in another way, uh, he might make you more worried about Machado because Machado's injuries have been knee, both knee-oriented, uh, both sort of ligament issues, uh, as opposed to being hit by a ball or being taken out on a slide or running into a wall or something like that. Yeah, where they required uh, some sort of contact with another player or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Or, or a pitch or whatever, yeah. Uh, some real quick injury news. Just to inform fantasy owners who may not know, George Springer, it sounds like uh, he is 
going to be back sometime in the next couple of few days uh, from straight quadriceps. Uh, he's going through some things, uh, going through some some tests on Monday. It sounds like he is very close to a return. Dexter Fowler may not be far behind him, perhaps um, by uh, activated by Thursday with a strained intercostal muscle. He's been out since sometime Forever. Even, yeah, late June. And that was, originally they didn't even know that he'd need to go on the disabled list. So, um, uh, score one, another one for the medical department. M- uh, Michael Saunders strained oblique. He's also due back this soon, possibly by the end of this week. And the, re- the only reason his return is delayed is because he's welcoming someone to the family. Uh, and it is by birth, not by any other means. <laughs> he's marrying <somebody. laughs> uh, Matt Lindstrom, ankle surgery. Uh, he has been activated today, joins a bullpen that now seems like it's Jake Petrica's uh, to head up at least for the rest of the season, although we know that things have been so unstable there at times that uh, we can't rule out uh, return to the role for Lindstrom. Eventually, I think he'll have to prove himself in the field appearances at least before that's the case. I think it's actually one of the better. Uh, I mean, we're we're suddenly facing uh, a dearth of options when it comes to uh, trying to find a, a closers. You know, mm-hmm. you know, and I think he's actually one of the better ones because uh, Petrico allows a lot of balls in play. Um, you know, he has a below average strikeout rate for a reliever, a below average walk rate for a reliever, and though his ground ball rate is good, uh, his batting average on balls and plays is 269. If that regresses at all, uh, you'll start seeing a, a bunch of uh, hits strung together. He's projected for the rest of the season for a four plus ERA and a, and a almost a one six whip. Um, so I think he's uh, probably one of the worst closers out there right now. He also doesn't even come. Um, well, he does come with 94 mile an hour heat, so that that's in his in his uh, favor. But uh, just missing the, all those whiffs that you normally associate with the closer, and not, not like Matt Lindstrom had those, but Lindstrom, you know, uh, has a history of uh, of uh, closing, and also uh, could keep Patrick cheaper for next year if they um, if they care about that sort of thing. So, I know that's not uh, you know number one in the box toolbox of finding closers, but. Just in terms of uh, iffy situations, Chicago is the first that comes to mind. Houston is another one that comes to mind just because uh, they could always be looking towards the future. Chad Qualls is signed for next year, though. And though Josh Fields has been a lot better recently, I don't think that the last outing um, suggests that he's just about to take Chad Qualls' job. Yeah, Houston, I think Houston is still quite a ways from finding a guy that they could call their closer of the future. Um and I do think, yeah, I agree in a sense that in Chicago, at least before when we talked about speculating on who would be closing games there for them, none of them were really that exciting. Whereas now, uh, Petrica, I mean, you know, now he has the job at least, and he's not the worst pitcher in the world, uh, as opposed to like Ronald Belisario, whose results were way worse than what we might have might have hoped. Um, and uh, Zach Putnam has performed pretty well in the bullpen for them there. He could always be an option for them. Uh, he's done well in, in some safe situations for them. And of course, Lindstrom is, he's kind of a, he's, he's, he's not a bad guy. <laughs> so, uh, at least it looks a little better of a situation in Chicago than it the only, than it used the, to. Only, the only other bullpen that I can think of, um, you know, possibly making a change, um, in the future, just because we're on the topic, um, it, it, the only one I can think of, I mean, Romo has been a little better recently, uh, but, you know, Casilla is not giving them a reason to make the change. Um, and uh, almost everybody else has, has some pretty uh, good relievers in, the, in their situations. The only other one that I can think of is the Blue Jays. 
Um, you know, uh, Jansen's uh, swing strike rate is down. His velocity is down. Um, you know, just in general, this has been a bad season for him. He's uh, always had, um, you know, shoulder issues off and on over his career. Um, so if he grabs that shoulder again, um, you know, he might go down. I mean, 89 miles an hour with the fastball, uh, slider usage down to near career low. Uh, although I guess he could be using the cutter. That, that one's hard to read. But um, just in general, uh, it doesn't look like a healthy year for him. He's got a 8.4% uh, swing strike rate, but he's only turning that into a 4.88 uh, strikeout rate. So striking out five per nine. That's not a closer situation. And uh, the reason I bring it up also is because Aaron Sanchez uh, is right behind him throwing 97, um, looking pretty nasty, if you ask me. I know that he hasn't been getting a lot of swinging strikes, but mostly his game is uh, sinkers, uh, getting ground balls. Um, and, um, you know, I'm really happy that he's been commanding the ball. So, uh, you know, I think Aaron Sanchez does provide somewhat of a of – a, um, of a threat to, to Casey Jansen. Yeah, I think that's uh, quite astute, especially when you talk about the Jansen, the Jansen issues, stuff he's experienced and he hasn't uh, in previous seasons. I mean, we know that health is an issue. The strikeout rate is really low, um, and that's not that has not been an issue for him in the past. The results have not been very good, and the the indicators suggest that they could be even worse. Um, it's a team that may be clinging to a playoff spot. Maybe they do look to change direction, definitely. Before we close it out, I want to get to just uh, touch on at least a couple of requested topics uh, and uh, particularly want to start with uh, Steven Strasburg had some questions about whether, uh, you know, what's been up with him as far as his results on the road versus his results at home. And uh, I was combing through some of those numbers in terms of uh, the strikeout rates, the walk rates. I mean, there's nothing, nothing that says that they should be nearly this bad. Uh, the only thing I see that's really egregious is the home run rate allowed. Um, do you see anything that stands out as far as, uh, to, to me, I don't see anything. I, I, I want to say, oh, wow, this is just a bunch of bad luck on the road. But I, I feel like it has to be something else besides that. Yeah, I mean, his, his home run rate is double on the road. Um, you know, and he doesn't, he doesn't uh, play in like a, a, a huge pitcher's park or anything. So I do think um, there's some of that going on. I see... Uh, two homers uh, in Philly, four in Atlanta. Atlanta is actually, um, you know, there's a little bit of altitude there. The, the old uh, park in Atlanta was called the Launching Pad. Um, and I see uh, homers in Miami, New York. So I think, you know, that's skewed a little bit by the four homers he allowed in Atlanta. That's a one-game blip, if you ask me. I mean, the game right before that, he struck out 10 and walked one. Uh, the game before that, no homers, uh, one earned run in Miami. Um, you know, he gets a lot of uh, crap, and um, I don't think that he deserves it, man. I mean, he, he has one of the best strikeout minus walk rates um, in baseball. Uh, only a very slight homer problem this year. Um, and a 341 Babbitt allowed, and I just don't think he deserves that. Um, so, you know, there's some iffy defenders behind him, um, especially on the infield. And, um, you know, maybe there's just a slight uh, step back in his repertoire since he, uh, since Tommy John, but I still see a guy who's throwing 94 95 uh, with a really great changeup uh, and a good curveball. 
striking tons of people out, not walking them, getting a decent amount of ground balls. Um, I don't, uh, I don't see anything but an inflated BABIP and you know a couple of homers here or there that don't make me like super worried about him. Yeah, I think uh, yeah the road splits, especially like you said with the home runs. Yeah, the four allowed in his last start at Atlanta that seemed to really bring out uh, a lot of the road struggles, but. Uh, for the most part, the road numbers don't look. I mean, they aren't. They aren't much worse than the home numbers. Um, and you look at some of the game logs. I mean, he caught uh, he caught Miami at home at the beginning of the season. That's where they were unstoppable. I mean, they started off the season hot. So he ran into kind of a buzzsaw there. Uh, Mets at home. I mean, that was kind of the open. I mean, it, it, a lot of things that could go on. But there's. I mean, they. Uh, He's made some really good starts on the road as well. He, he made a start at Colorado, and they got to him for four runs. Uh, but just in general, um, you can't help but look at these. And, he, and some of the starts he's really he's that he's had on the road look uh, just as good as any of those he's had on, uh, at home. And I can't help but think that he has just caught some of these teams at really the wrong times. Uh, but uh, overall, I don't see too much in Strasburg's numbers that says this is a guy that's that much of a worse of a pitcher at, at, on the road. And I would think I would expect to see some significant corrections in those, assuming that he's not doing anything differently. Wanted to touch on also, uh, I had a question about Scott Casimir. He's not been as strong of a pitcher as uh, of late as he was in the first three, three and a half, maybe even four months of the season. Really, this is a case of I think we had to expect a little bit of a negative regression from a guy who was uh, pitching extremely well, but probably even better than the peripheral numbers uh, would allow him to succeed to. Uh, you see anything uh, otherwise there? No, I, I, you know, early in the season, there was a bit of a velocity drop over the course of a couple of starts. Um, and he was down to 90, 91 uh, for a couple of starts. Uh, in April, and you know that's when we said uh, watch out for for Scott Casimir, you know. Uh, but he he righted the ship, and he's back up to 91, 92, and he's been there, um, you know, up to 93. And uh, in his last start, his four seamer was uh, 93. Now his sinker was down to 90, uh, but you know, having had this issue uh, in the past, um, you know, I'm not as worried about that uh, this time around. Um, I don't see any big uh, drops in uh, in his uh, velocity. Otherwise, his changeups are getting a little bit slower, but it's it's later in the season. Um, I don't see any huge changes in in movement. Um, so, um, you know, I don't really see anything to be worried about. He, he changes his uh, spot on the rubber a little bit. It looks like so uh, the horizontal release point kind of a little bit crazy graph, but. Uh, uh, you know nothing any crazier than he's done in the past. So I think um, I think he's uh, probably fine. And when I mean fine, I think you know uh, for a mid three ZRA um, and a decent strikeout rate. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of where I would uh, look to see. I mean, the big thing that we can I think we have to take away from it is just that uh, for, as far as this season and uh, for a good portion of last season when he made this tremendous comeback is the is incredible gains he's made with the control rate. Uh, and so, I mean, that's really where you have to take some solace in this and, uh, strikeouts are still good. So, yeah, I mean, the, everything seems fine there. Just, uh, don't be surprised if the results are just a little worse. I mean, he's not, uh, he's not going to win you a fantasy Cy young per se. Uh, but he's probably given what you paid for him. I think you'd still be happy with the results overall for the rest of the season. Uh, 
one more, I think, before we get out of here, just real quick. Uh, I was an early owner of Jake Udorizzi, says one of our commenters, and um, kind of hope to see some rebounds. What is basically want to know what has Odorisi done differently since he's kind of turned things around? Because uh, Jason Collette had talked extensively uh, on the Sunday podcast about how he was having trouble getting through the lineup the second and third time around. What is he doing differently? Have you noticed anything in the pitch peripherals? Uh, well, I mean, the thing that, that uh, has been so big for him is the splitter this year. But uh, just in terms of uh, having difficulty the next times through the lineup, he just doesn't have uh, that breaker that, uh, you know, he learned his splitter from, from Alex Cobb. And, um, and and the splitter is great for him. Um, and it's even above average. Um, but in terms of whiff rate, at least, uh, he doesn't have another pitch that, that rates his average other than his fastball. So he's basically a fastball splitter guy right now. Um, the slider, 10% whiffs, um, you know, 40% of ground balls. That's not that's not good enough. Um, curveball, 5% whiffs, 30% ground balls. That's, that's pretty bad. So there's none of these breakers is working for him. Um, and uh, it's, it's bad because, you know, he's been – He's been doing this. Uh, he's been throwing those longer than anything. Um, so I, I'm going to change the sample up here and look since June 1st, uh, see if any of them has gotten better. Uh, no, they have not gotten better. His slider is still 9% and 30% uh, ground balls. So um, I just think he needs to figure out one of those uh, one of those breakers. Maybe go to a spike grip on the curve or. Um, you know, throw the cutter more often or something. So uh, he's he's still missing. Um, uh, what I think he has one more adjustment um, that could make him a, a, a good pitcher. Yeah, I mean, I, I've always kind of liked Odorizzi, but I felt like he was uh, one pitch away. I think that kind of confirms it. Um, is that uh, and I, so? How this is my question uh, because I mean we've seen a huge spike in the strikeout rate this season. How much of a are, are a how much of a believer are you in that? Um, I mean, he's done it in the minor leagues, but that's not necessarily by any means an indicator. Uh, that's what I, I still have my doubts that uh, and uh, swinging strike rate has gone up as well, big time. Um, but I guess I still have my doubts that he can reproduce this on a consistent basis. No, I mean the, the splitter is a great pitch. If you if you had a fastball on the splitter. Um, you know, and he had good, like decent command. I mean, he's, he's at least league average command. Then um, there's a lot you can do, especially since the splitter kind of just dies, falls straight down. Um, so I doubt it has much of a platoon split, and maybe has a little bit of a reverse platoon split, which would serve him well with the the fastball. So it's almost enough by itself, especially since he's doing at least throwing the slider as a show me uh, change things up uh, pitch. But you know, without the slider being a, a you know, think about Cobb. Cobb is Cobb doesn't have great velocity, but and he, you know, command goes in and out. But he has three legit pitches. He has the fastball, he's the slider, uh, the curve, and the um, and the split. So, um, in order to be a, a Cobb type person, I think he needs to have this third pitch. In order to be, uh, you know, a, a league average pitcher, um, I think he can just keep doing what he's doing. You know, be some strikeouts, some homers, and some walks, and. Um, you know, late in the game, so they'll always be a little bit, um, a little bit iffy. But um, you know, in terms of making another jump to to the mid threes ERA or whatever, and to a to a guy that um, is more relevant in mixed leagues, I think he, yeah, he needs to improve one of those breaking pitches. Okay, and 
just uh, while we're on raised pitchers, real quickly, how many comments on the return of Jeremy Hellickson, uh, who has a 2.61 ERA in four starts? Um, he's also struck out 16.5% of the hitters he's faced and uh, walked only 5.9%. In general, you you might uh, fantasy owners might think, wow, this is back to the Jake. Uh, I'm sorry, the Jeremy Hellickson uh, that was kind of exceeding pitch peripherals uh, and indicators uh, prior to when uh, this injury developed. Uh, but to me, I'd still be worried. I don't think he'll be necessarily as bad as pre-surgery when he had, I think he had, he had needed uh, some serious elbow cleanup. Uh, and that was kind of a surprise to the Rays. But uh, elbow cleanup, prior to that, I don't think he'll be quite as bad. But uh, I don't see the velocity yet as having returned. And uh, and I guess I'm also, maybe, I'm, I guess the only thing I'm wondering is, and I don't see anything as far as the mix goes, that suggests it, but anything as far as the pitch peripherals that go that say that, you know, maybe he's doing something differently. No, I, I you know, he's actually, uh, I think, uh, a interesting model for, or an interesting uh, guy to put up against um, uh, Odorizzi in that, uh, you know, Hellickson also only has, I, I don't even know if, he, if the fastball is that great, but at least he has a fastball um, and a changeup uh, that work good command um and uh, maybe and get better command than Helixson. so i guess i mean than odorizzi so i guess in a way if odorizzi could just improve his command um to the point where and that actually that's what odorizzi told me is his next step that he needs he the way he put thinks it is he needs to be able to command all of his pitches and i think that could be a way out for him um even with an just an okay slider if he can command all those pitches uh then i think he can he can um find a way out and that's what Hellickson has done in the past when he has good command he's done well um, and uh, you know Hellickson doesn't have uh, a breaking pitch either I mean he has a curve he throws but it's not very good so um, I think those are both guys that uh, I would right now pencil in for around four, four ERA uh, and of course since Odorizzi is younger I'd, I'd uh, be more willing to um, you know take some shares of Odorizzi in case he does figure it out yeah, I'm definitely I'm more I'm definitely more in on the Odorizzi wagon than I am on Hellickson, and I think that's just I mean I don't see anything spectacular about, and he's not even really um, he's not even really flashed much of a breaking ball this season. It's not like he, I mean it's he hasn't uh, it, it's it doesn't get swinging strikes at all, um, uh, or at least it hasn't this season, and it used to. Um, and it's, I mean, it's going to be interesting to me to see if he can really kind of salvage what he had displayed early in his career when he kind of consistently outpitched uh, out those peripheral numbers. Well, I think that is going to do it for this episode of The Sleeper and the Bust. You know, as always, thank you very much for setting, uh, sharing some of your wonderful insights with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say no, that. No, it's always fun is what I was going to say. Ah, oh, excuse me. It's always fun. Well, that's... I'm glad that you're having some fun as well. We, we thank you very much uh, for sharing those wonderful things with us and uh, look forward to talking some more fantastic baseball again on Thursday. Uh, again, this has been The Sleeper and the Bust, episode number 153. And Eno, have yourself a fantastic day at the ballpark. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs>